Joining us today here on Dialogos Radio for this week's edition of the Dialogos Interview Series is one of our regular and most prominent guests, investigative reporter, filmmaker, and best-selling author Greg Pallast, author of books such as Vulture's Picnic, Armed Madhouse, and The Best Democracy Money Can Buy. Greg, thanks for taking time out of your hectic schedule to join us once again. You're very welcome. Anytime. You've been spending the past few months on a road from what I understand as part of your new film project, taking an investigative look at the state of democracy and election fraud in the United States today. What have you been seeing over the course of the primary season these past few months? It's very interesting because the news that we get, at least in America, doesn't reflect what's going on in the street. We've had, obviously, revolution in both parties, a, a nonviolent revolution. In the Republican Party, you have Donald Trump, who has been playing a strong populist line. That is, he's anti-corporate. He has said that uh, companies that move jobs overseas are going to be punished and strongly in favor of maintaining social safety nets such as pensions and Medicare and health insurance. And this is very much not Republican. The leaders and the billionaires who run the Republican Party aren't happy with this. He's also, unfortunately, selling a very racist line. He's saying that no Muslims, zero, should be allowed into the United States for now because it could all be terrorists, which is pretty funny because Trump, remember, owns casinos. And without the Arab sheikhs coming into his casinos and losing millions of dollars, he would go bankrupt. So, <laughs> so you know, it's, it's, it's all political chit-chat. And then also he wants to build a wall along the border with Mexico to keep Mexicans from running into the United States illegally, which is also, there's a certain dark humor in that, which is that almost everyone who is in the United States who does not uh, have legal papers to stay here, almost everyone flew in. <laughs> and most come from Asia, some from Europe, very few from Mexico. They don't, you know, it, I guess he just saw an old copy of the film Viva Zapata with the uh, Mexicans running across the border in horses. And so <laughs> they, if, if he's going to build a wall, it's going to have to be at least 40,000 feet high because, as I say, most people just fly in and then stay. And keep in mind, as, as you know, from the very large Greek community in the United States, uh, the United States is an entire nation of immigrants. Unless you're a Navajo Indian, you're an immigrant <laughs> or, or children of immigrants or grandchildren of immigrants, including Donald Trump, by the way. So that, that's kind of that's what's going on. But what we're not getting in the news, what I've been investigating and will be in my new film, The Best Democracy Money Can Buy, uh, what will be in that film is the story of how they are trying to manipulate the vote and steal the vote in America. That's the big uncovered story. Let's give a little bit of background regarding the story, beginning with what happened in Florida back in the 2000 elections. How did those elections set the stage for what we see today, such as electronic voting machines, electoral fraud, and the disenfranchisement of voters, particularly poor and minority voters? Yes. Well, back in the year 2000, that's when George W. Bush was first elected. But he really wasn't elected. He lost the vote because the nasty secret of American democracy is that we don't count all the votes. By all modern measures, we have one of the most corrupted and least trustworthy voting systems in the uh, Western world. Now, for example, in 2000, when I was working for the Guardian newspaper and BBC out of England, I discovered that the person in charge of counting the votes in Florida was a Republican official who not only was in charge of recording the votes 
but was also the chairwoman of Bush's election campaign. Before the election, she removed 56,000 black people, African-Americans from the voter roll, citizens, said that they couldn't vote. What was the reason? She said that they were convicted of crimes and therefore they couldn't vote. As it turns out, none of these black people were criminals, not a single one, but they all lost their right to vote. Almost none of them were going to vote for George Bush. But that's how Bush became president of the United States. People have to understand, out of over 100 million votes cast, George Bush won the presidency by just 537 votes. Now, that election was pure stolen. I uncovered it. In 2004, Bush stole it again, and I uncovered that. Now, today, I'm working with Rolling Stone magazine, and I've uncovered a brand new gimmick called Crosscheck, And they are literally removing another million people from the voter rolls of the United States. And you have to understand, we have a very strange system called the electoral voting system, which makes vote theft fairly easy and makes it profitable. Because if you win a single state in America, you get all of its votes. And so even if you win a state by 200 votes, you get all of its electoral votes for choosing the president. Now, it's a little complicated, but the point of that is, is that when they remove one million voters from such states as Ohio and North Carolina and Florida, these are the states that determine who becomes our president. And it doesn't matter who gets the most votes in the United States. It's the matter of these strange electoral votes. And that's how they're stealing it. What they're doing is they've got a new gimmick to remove people from the voter rolls secretly, quietly. People don't even know that they've been removed from the voter rolls. And about a third of Americans mail in their ballots, send them in by mail. And if their vote isn't counted, they don't know it. Americans don't know if their votes even get counted. Officially, we know that about six million votes never get counted. And that's the official uh, word. The thing is, is that almost all the votes removed are votes of poor people, African-Americans, the Latino-Americans and Asian-Americans. And poor people, these are all basically Democratic voters. Of the 6 million votes lost, there's about a 4 million vote lost to the Democratic candidates, not only the president, but the United States Senate, which is up for grabs. So even though the Republican Party does not like Donald Trump, the problem is that they still have to control the election process and steal votes because they need to control the United States Senate, which is uh, very much up for grabs in this election. We are on the air with best-selling author and investigative journalist Greg Pallast here on the Alagos Radio and the Alagos Interview Series. And Greg, all of this, of course, is leading up to your new film project, a crowdsourced documentary titled The Best Democracy Money Can Buy, which is also the name of one of your books. Tell us more about the project and also how interested listeners might be able to support it. Well, there's two things going on. One, the book, uh, The Best Democracy Money Can Buy which is a big international bestseller, was about the theft of these elections in America, how it just doesn't stop and it's gotten worse. So the film is actually, even though it's about a grim subject, most of it is quite a lot of fun. That is following me around as an investigative reporter from state to state, seeing how many votes they're stealing. And you get to meet the guys who are stealing the votes. You also meet their victims. But the important thing is this subtitle is called A Tale of Billionaires and Ballot Bandits. Billionaires and Ballot Bandits is another book I wrote. And the important thing is 
who's buying these elections. In other words, it's very expensive to steal elections. It's very expensive to get elected, but it's even more expensive to go through the process of stealing votes. And so we hunt down the guys behind the vote theft, billionaires like uh, David and Charles Koch and their brother, Billy, who's often forgotten, Billy Koch. Uh, we go after a guy named Paul Singer, known as the Vulture, a major uh, vulture investor, who, if you read my new book, just translated into Greek, Vulture's Picnic, you get to meet Paul Singer, the Vulture, a very important character, uh, a financial marauder, a financial pirate. He is behind the vote theft as well. He's funding these efforts to block black and Latino and poor voters from voting. And that's the game. These billionaires have an agenda. They're going to help Republicans get elected, but they don't really care about the Republican Party. They care about their own bank accounts. They don't care about the, the political philosophy of any of these candidates. In fact, some of them are Democrats themselves, but they're going to support the theft of the election by the Republicans, especially for the United States Senate. Let's take a look now at Latin America, where we've seen the impeachment of President Dilma Rousseff in Brazil, the electoral loss of President Kirchner in Argentina, and the election of a neoliberal pro-U.S. government. Plus, we've seen the opposition score a major victory in the recent senatorial elections in Venezuela, putting the already destabilized Maduro government in further jeopardy. What's your take on what is happening in South America? The answer is oil. Venezuela was rebuilding its nation by spreading its oil wealth. Hugo Chavez, before he died, when he was president, directed a massive, a massive shift in the nation's wealth from a small group of the white elite. They didn't even call themselves Venezuelans. They called themselves Spaniards. And he took the money away from the white elite and spread it out amongst the poor people, the black and Indian population, as he called them, because he was black and Indian, as he told me. I know Chavez well. And if you go to gregpalast.com, you can download for free my film, The Assassination of Hugo Chavez. It's about the political assassination of Chavez. So what happened is with the collapse of oil prices, there was no way to continue this program of redistributing wealth unless you now start taking it away from the rich people. So now the rich are in revolt. So you have a revolution of the rich in Venezuela. And of course, because there's no money left in the treasury with oil prices destroyed for Venezuela and which the nation lives, the current government, any government would have a tough time surviving that. Same thing in Brazil. Brazil, uh, which was becoming a major oil producer, suffered not only the, the collapse of oil prices, but suffered the collapse of its commodities, which it sold to China. As China's economy has slowed, Brazil's economy has died. And so, of course, the government in power, once again, a leftist government, has been under attack. They're impeaching the president, Wilma Rousseff. But I can tell you, I've been down to Brazil many times. The particular problem with Rousseff is that she has never been a politician never held public office until she was elected president. And she just is the worst politician. So she just literally does not know how to speak to the people. I see that in uh, Venezuela, President Maduro, who I know personally, he's a wonderful guy, but he's not a politician, has no idea how to speak to his nation. So you've got two non-politicians who are suddenly running governments in crisis mode. And then finally in Argentina, and this is a situation that's uh, very close to the Greek situation, we had the Kirchner governments, two presidents, Christina and Nestor Kirchner, who were presidents 
a family just like the Clintons or the Bushes. And they had fought very hard not to pay the vultures who took over the debt when the nation was poor. And they took a very, very different route from Greece. When they had a financial crisis because their uh, governments, their military governments, had bought the entire neoliberal program of austerity and privatization and liberalization of their markets and open markets, just like Greece, the economy of Argentina collapsed. But then the leftist governments of Nestor, then Christina Kirchner, took over. They rejected the neoliberal programs. They moved away from austerity. They tightened their regulations. They deprivatized and renationalized their critical industries like electricity and water and oil. And the government thrived. Suddenly the nation thrived by rejecting the whole neoliberal austerity program. In fact, the banks that were owed money ended up getting their money. People don't realize that, that while Argentina declared a default, in the end, the banks that they owed money to got their money because the economy grew. That This is really very much applies to the situation of Greece. If someone is dying, the solution is not to bleed. You know, it's, it's like medieval to be bleeding a nation economically when it's wounded. You know, that's why... Um, Argentina was dying and that got reversed when austerity was rejected. Obviously, that didn't happen in Greece. So as you're wounded, you're also being bled at the same time. Now, what's happened in Argentina is that a few vulture investors, as they're called, bought up some of the old debts of Argentina back from the military dictatorship. They paid $50 million. A guy named Paul the Vulture Singer, he's known as the Vulture, he paid about $50 million for debt. Uh, bonds of of the uh, Argentine government and then said he demanded $3 billion after paying $50 million for the debt. The Kirchner government refused and he held out. He used U.S. law to strangle the nation of Argentina, to prevent it from getting funds from the IMF, to prevent the nation from borrowing, to seize the assets of the nation, including its Navy ships on the high seas. It seized its satellite rockets, the vultures, the types of things that are threatened of Greece if you dare declare a default. But remember, the vultures never lent money to Argentina. and The vulture investors never lent money to Greece. These guys just buy up old debts at a discount and then hold the nation economically hostage for ransom. And unfortunately, in the case of Argentina, it worked. They were strangling the economy, destroying the economy. So then the leftist government, which said, we will never pay We will never pay these vultures. Ended up getting thrown out of office and a new right-wing government just wrote a check to the vultures for $6 billion. So they basically gave up the Argentine treasury to these vultures who paid $50 million for bonds. You're talking about a 3,000% profit. It is obscene. It's horrible. And by the way, it reflects on the U.S. election because Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama opposed the vulture attack on Argentina and said this guy is a threat to world finance, the vulture and his friends. And it carries way over to Greece because I have to tell you that Paul Singer, the vulture in Argentina, it turns out people thought he was behind the vulture attack, the financial attack on uh, Greece. It wasn't. It was, it, it turns out. The Bass brothers, who were his partners in Argentina, attacking Argentina, and these are the guys who were threatening Greece, and they got paid by your government. You have no money, but they've been paid. 
We are speaking with best-selling author and investigative journalist Greg Pallast here on the Alagos Radio and in the Alagos Interview Series. And before we talk more about Greece, we've seen a similar crisis unfold in recent years in Puerto Rico, and a crisis that is only now reaching the limelight. Puerto Rico, of course, is not an independent country. It is a U.S. colony, yet there are many similarities with what we see in Greece and elsewhere in Latin America. What is your take on what is happening in Puerto Rico today, on the role of the vulture funds and how the U.S. government is responding to the issue. This is fascinating because Puerto Rico is one of America's last colonies. Um, a lot of Republicans, a lot of people fear making them a state. But all it, this is the interesting thing. All the people of Puerto Rico are American citizens. Puerto Rico, as a semi-independent state, got into trouble, uh, just like Greece, because Puerto Rico, like Greece, stuck to the euro, Puerto Rico is stuck to the U.S. dollar. It's a Caribbean nation. So remember, Puerto Rico has to compete economically with Haiti, with Trinidad, with Jamaica, but it has the U.S. dollar, just like you have the euro. And so what's happened is, is that the Puerto Rican economy has been dying. And so people are fleeing Puerto Rico. Probably nearly half of the population of Puerto Rico now lives in the United States proper, in New York and Florida, mainly. So what's happened is the economy of Puerto Rico has died because it's stuck with the U.S. dollar, just like Greece is stuck with the euro and has, and has suffered. The difference is, is that there's a real debate in the United States between paying off not only the banks, but also these same vulture investors have gotten involved. Paul Singer's vulture partner, a guy named John Paulson, is now the big holder and vulture holding the bonds and debts of Puerto Rico. So what's happened is, is that a great number of American politicians and the government of Barack Obama, the Democratic Party, have called for a very un-German solution, which is to allow Puerto Rico to declare bankruptcy and to cut down and eliminate, agree not to uh, pay most of its debts and to refinance its debts with help from the U.S. government. And this is not like the IMF, where they are demanding all kinds of cuts and austerity. However, that's the Obama administration's position. The position of the Republican Party, for the most part, is to basically do what the Germans are doing to Greece, demand massive austerity, massive layoffs of public employees, privatization of the electric company, and all these various same measures, cutting the pensions, all the same things that Greece is going through, the demand for austerity. So right now, part of the election fight is over whether the vultures win or the people of Puerto Rico, but at least the majority, and I want to emphasize this, the majority of people in the United States do not feel like the Germans. The, the majority of people in the United States think that Puerto Rico is, is still part of America and therefore deserves that the people of Puerto Rico deserve to be treated as, as Americans and therefore uh, not be, that the island not be destroyed economically. So it's a fierce battle, just like you have in Greece, except in Greece, it's a battle between your people, your government, the IMF and the Germans. And in the U.S., it's a battle between the people of Puerto Rico, the vulture investors again, and the Republican and Democratic parties. So there's a lot of Democrats who are anti-Puerto Rico and a lot of Republicans who are in favor of helping Puerto Rico. The problem is, is that the vultures are supporting the Republican Party and uh, that's, remember, even with a Democratic president, we have a Republican Congress, and they're holding up a solution for Puerto Rico, just like the Germans are holding up a solution for Greece. 
Looking now at Greece, recently the Syriza-led government passed further sets of strict austerity measures targeting the country's pension and tax systems and mortgaging the country's public assets to foreign lenders for the next 99 years. Greece, of course, remains in a eurozone and there's no discussion or debate at governmental levels in Greece about an exit from the eurozone or the European Union. What's your reaction to these latest developments in Greece? Well, basically, the Syriza government lied to the Greek people. It ran on a platform of saying, we will get a good deal from Europe or we will leave the euro. And they had a lot of power and a lot of leverage when they came in. There was a great deal of panic about Greece leaving the euro that could have been used to squeeze concessions. But concessions are somewhat meaningless in one way. As long as you're in the eurozone, as long as you're in the eurozone, you are chained to the German economy and you're chained to Germany's need for higher interest, you're chained to Germany's need to maintain high employment at a cost to the rest of the Eurozone. That's what's going on. Words, as long as you have this ridiculously high currency, you can't compete against Turkey. You know, you're getting some of the tourism back now, but only at a devastating cost to your wages. And so I think what's happening now is because there's Now the whole idea of leaving the Eurozone is completely lost. It's one of those things where you say, we should have done it a year ago. We should have done it a year ago. We should have done it a year ago. Every year you say you should have done it a year ago. It is very late. A high price has already been paid, but it's still not the end of the price you will be paying because if you don't leave the Eurozone, you are going to be stuck. And unlike the United States where Puerto Rico is stuck with the U.S. dollar. There's a, a understanding that the American government has to be responsible for this nation basically chained to its dollar. There's no sense of responsibility to Greece by the uh, European Union. It's not a union. The European Union is not anything close to a union in any manner. It is a, an occupation. And I don't say that lightly. You had a, a Greek elite, which was more than happy to combine with this tremendous outside pressure force. And don't forget that the plunder of Greece's assets is not just by Germans or foreigners. The plunder includes the takeover of a lot of your assets by some rich Greeks as well, who saw this as a way to pry golden assets out of the government. And of course, did that help? I mean, you're constantly being told that austerity would save you. And it hasn't. The definition of insanity is to keep doing the same thing and expecting a different outcome. Austerity is an idea that is dangerous and failed. It really is. As Joe Stiglitz, the Nobel Prize winning economist, told me, it's completely medieval. The idea that bleeding an economy, cutting your pensions, cutting your wages, selling off more is going to improve your economy is insane. You keep doing it and it doesn't work for a very simple reason. When you cut people's pensions and you cut people's wages and you eliminate government employment and you eliminate employment in the shipping industry, you end up with people who don't have money to spend. And if people don't spend money, your economy dies. It is not surprising that when you slash and bleed an economy, that it starts bleeding to death. And now, Your government, your parliament decided to go along with more austerity, but it's not good enough for the Germans. And the Germans aren't demanding austerity because it's good for you or it's even good for the Eurozone because they know. They know this will drag down Greece further. They absolutely know it. Even the, the IMF, which is an organization 
which is infamous for its insane cruelty. Even the IMF says this is too cruel. It's as if Pinochet, the dictator, says, I can't watch this torture anymore. I mean, even the IMF said this is insane. You know, Christine Lagarde, she's even saying this is madness. This will just make it impossible for Greece to recover. And if you look at the program that they have in mind for Greece, they don't expect they're not even promising recovery anymore. They're saying that you are going to be in an austerity mode for the next 20 years. That's not true. You will be in the austerity mode forever. This is a permanent change in your wages, permanent change in control, permanent change in ownership, unless you get the hell out of the Eurozone. Yes, it's too late, but it's not too late. It should have been done before, but it's got to be done now. And I, you know, it will happen. It will happen. Either the Eurozone collapses and joins Greece or Greece, ironically, is going to be shoved out of the Eurozone when they decide that you're just too costly to keep around. We are on the air with best-selling author and investigative journalist Greg Pallast here on the Alagos Radio and the Alagos Interview Series. And Greg, we've discussed the list in past interviews, but I believe it bears repeating. He had spoken to the founding father, if you will, of the Euro economist Robert Mundell. What did he have to say about the European common currency and its true objectives? This is very important. The man who invented the Euro is the economist Robert Mundell, who I've had long discussions with. Mundell said, bl- said absolutely straight blankly, and by the way, he's, he's not a European, he's, he's a Canadian-American who lives in New York. And he said the, the creation of the euro was a way, way to bring the supply side economics of Ronald Reagan and Margaret Thatcher to the continent. By creating a euro, he said, you take away fiscal power, monetary power, from any government. So if you're ever in trouble, you can't use stimulus spending, you can't change the value of your currency. He said, therefore, the only thing that's left for you to do is to cut government employment, cut wages, eliminate union power, and privatize industry. Just so you understand, what happened in Greece was not a mistake, was not a problem of the euro, it was the program of the euro. It's the purpose of the euro. What happened to Greece is what Mundell had in mind and the creators of the euro had in mind, which is to break your unions, take your properties, etc. Now, understand, is Mundell some type of crazy berserker? No, he's a Nobel Prize winning economist. He was the man who created supply side economics for Ronald Reagan, which is some now known as voodoo economics. And so he actually believed that in the long run, this would be better for Europe and Greece to get rid of labor unions, to get rid of public employment, and basically eliminate all kinds of regulations, which he thought were strangling the economy. This is an old right-wing Ronald Reagan, Margaret Thatcher view of world economics, which is now long discredited. But while supply-side economics is now roundly considered a failed, wrong economic philosophy, an experiment that was disastrously wrong worldwide, you're still stuck with the supply-side chain, the supply-side prison known as the Eurozone. That's the problem. Basically, the Euro is simply a tool to enforce supply-side right-wing economics and Everyone is getting hurt by this, except the Germans, 
who have organized, reorganized their economy to be an export machine because they have, for them, the currency is, is priced too low. So they have a tremendous export advantage and they use it. So they are the export machine and you are the victims. Now, before we wrap up, let's talk about your most recent book, Vulture's Picnic, which has finally circulated in Greece with a Greek language translation. What can our listeners expect to read in this book? First of all, think of it as a real life detective story. I call it pulp nonfiction. And so it reads like a detective story because it is. And you follow me as, de- as a detective through such things as the Greek financial crisis, where we uncovered such things as the tremendous uh, ugly influence of the manipulation of the uh, Greek debt, the hiding of the uh, Greek debt by Goldman Sachs and big banks. And you'll also find such things as what we call the Endgame Memo, which was the original memo of the World Trade Organization written by the U.S. Treasury secretaries, which basically became the blueprint for this neoliberal takeover of the world economy. And Greece is its natural victim. And you'll get the whole story about what is behind, what kicked off the, what you call the Greek crisis, but was really... The Greek plan. You have to understand the riots. In fact, we uh, in the uh, book, the detective, me, Greg Pallast, I end up meeting with this economist, Joe Stiglitz, and he was on the inside. He was the uh, chairman of Bill Clinton's Council of Economic Advisors, and he was also the chief economist of the World Bank. And as he laid it out, he explained that this destruction, this squeezing of the economies, was a deliberate plan. And I showed him a document I got. Throughout Vulture's Picnic, you get all these inside documents that I get. I get a lot of confidential documents. And that's what's fun. I I get pull these things out of the files. And out of the files of the World Bank and the IMF, I found plans that basically suggested that they knew that their plans would cause riots. And the riots were good because this would allow them to move in the troops take over the government and impose their austerity plans. So they were tr- literally trying to provoke riots. And I said, it looks like they're trying to provoke riots. Am I reading this correctly? And he said, absolutely. And remember, this was the chief economist of the World Bank. He's inside. He's not guessing. He said, we used to call those the IMF riots. And they liked the riots because the riots would then, just as you had the, the burning of the bank in Athens and four people died, they love this stuff. I mean, I hate to put it that way. They really love it because when there is riot and commotion and crisis, they move in and impose austerity and people are afraid, afraid of insurrection, afraid of civil war. Greece suffered a terrible civil war. No one wants that again. And so people say, okay, we'll go along with the austerity, even though you know, you have to be kidding yourself to think that this somehow is going to save you or or improve your economy. Greg, where can our listeners find out more about your books, your film project, and also your podcast? Where can you get my, uh, this information? Number one, read the book. Read Vulture's Picnic, which I'm thrilled is now in Greek. My other books, Billionaires and Ballot Bandits, The Best Democracy Money Can Buy, and uh, these are, have all been translated to several languages. Uh, but the important thing is get the story, get the information. Then you can read all my reports for free at gregpalast.com. That's G-R-E-G-P-A-L-A-S-T.com. 
please go there and uh, you'll uh, get the latest information on all the, the hijinks and vote thievery and bad bear billionaires at uh, gregpalace.com. And if you want, you can support this film. It is a film that's nearly complete now, and it has been funded by the public so that we don't owe any commercial interests, any money to tell the truth about the U.S. elections. And we'll be putting out a television broadcast, radio broadcast, et cetera. You can get all this information and how to uh, join in producing the film and helping out at gregpalast.com. Wonderful. Well, Greg, thank you very much for taking the time to speak with us today here on the Alagos Radio and the Dialogos Interview Series. Thank you so much, Michael.